Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. 80s nostalgia, 90s hardcore action, but no Hulk Hogan. We're talking Spring Stampede 1994 with Eric Bischoff himself. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hey there, fans of 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. This is the after show where we cover all the big reveals. We get your fan reactions, and we are talking all about Spring Stampede 1994 this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love you to join us in the live chat on YouTube where we premiere on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And you can also catch us on Apple Podcasts if you'd like to listen instead. We would love a five-star rating. Let us know what you think about the show, and we will shout you out. Let me introduce you to uh, those of us who make me we here on this show. First up, he is a veteran of the business and the host of AfterBuzz TV's SmackDown After Show. Also rocking his own t-shirt, which makes him just pretty cool in general. Say hello (laughs) to Christian Rosenberg. I never self-promote. Except every time I'm on the show. <laughs> hey, no, uh, we won't hold it against you. Not no. around here, we won't. Personteats.com slash Christian Rosenberg. Because <laughs> this guy does it too. We call him the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment or the Devastator 2, depending on if he's in the ring or outside of it. But you can call him George Ramosa. I got a t-shirt coming. I just submitted two t-shirt designs. Well, it's the same one. It's just white and black. Creative. You sound, Can't wait. You sound so excited. Well, I got t shirts Just coming, wait till guys. it comes out. Then I was like, oh. I've got two t shirts, guys. Actually, I have one. All right. Well, this guy can help you out with merch. I don't know what else. He runs the YouTube page for all your favorite wrestling stars. Apparently, he's a part of the Avengers, too. That's I mean, badass. I have entered the quantum realm tonight <laughs> to talk to all of you. That's I'm, the voice of Steve Kaufman. Everybody. That is the voice of Steve Kaufman. Oh, Hello. that's your name. It's been so long, I forgot. Thank yeah, you. where the heck you been? Mm-hmm. Mania um, and stuff? Well, Mania for two weeks, and then um, when you set your schedule in an airport that's not you where, vacation, where you live... You forget that you had stuff you were supposed to do. I well, mean, no, he I'm, was on time for other stuff. That's all I'm saying about that. Well, what I'm saying is if you put it in your schedule as <laughs> six, but you're not in Los Angeles... It doesn't actually go in your schedule as six in Los wow, Angeles, and it sounds... messes your whole life up. I, oh, okay. I, no, I, no, I will agree with you on one thing. WrestleMania was two weeks long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was two weeks long, and Spring Stampede 1994 was like 25 years ago. Is that right? That yes. numbers. Yes. Yay! All right, I just busted that out. And so, yay for me. <laughs> so we're going to go all the way back to that time. According to Conrad, this show was a huge... Financial success. We're getting it. We're getting in our time machine. We're counting all our money. They're coming off the Bill Watts era, which was a disaster, but things are starting to look up. They're cutting. Uh, they're cutting some costs, and that, according to Eric Bischoff, makes everybody confident in WCW enough so that Ted Turner says, "Mr. Bischoff, I will give you extra money. No, no, no. You don't have to cut the pay of anyone else. I will give you extra money to sign one Hulk." 
Hogan. That was a huge discussion point on this episode of the show. Were you guys buying what Bischoff was selling in accordance to Hulk Hogan's $2 million WCW contract? I, I was. Honestly, I, I I got everything that he was saying. Because at first, you hear about the stories about Brian Pillman, too, because I know they talked about him for a second where uh, they wanted to cut his pay, or or if they doesn't agree, then he was going to become a jobber. And Pillman would respond with, well, I'm either going to be the, you know, cut my pay or you're going to be the highest paid jobber. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just because I heard about that. You heard about, they were talking about the blondes, too, about Austin and Pillman, about mm-hmm. them splitting up. Yep. Um, but, I mean, it's good to hear that that really nothing, none of that really happened. It was just, you know, them getting the extra money for Hogan. The other key thing is, a lot of people just have this idea of, oh, they have this extra money from doing these pay cuts. We're just going to shell all that money to Hogan. Mm-hmm. No, there, there's a plan in determining what your budget is for that year. And like you said, 93, we were told what our budget was going to be for 94. Yeah, of course. So, Hogan, oh, this is a pleasant surprise. Hey, Mr. Turner, can we add something to the budget to get the biggest name in wrestling to come to us? Sure, here you go. I mean, I don't see... Why so many people were confused by this, and especially because, like, especially what the what the story was, like, he, Ted Turner very easily gave him Monday Nitro, like on prime time. Yeah, it's like why wouldn't he give him so he can get the biggest star in the history at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would argue that it doesn't feel that way if you're Brian Pillman. Yes, and Comrade made that point of like you can say this all you want, and you can try your best to explain it. If you're being asked to take a pay cut, and then you hear that they're paying Hulk Hogan all this money, sure. It's going to feel different than it is. Mm -hmm. Well, another thing we definitely have to talk about, and again, I'm so glad that we get to come here and do this show and ask Eric to follow up on some things and to get uh, all the fans out there's thoughts and you guys' thoughts on this because sitting at home listening to Eric talk about Missy Hyatt... Um, it was a, it just initially comes off as a little harsh, and as the woman on the panel, you know, I of course want to listen to it and then decide that he has said something horribly sexist and then make sure I come at him for it when we get him on the line and hold him responsible, but really, um, I didn't find anything wrong with his comments. He basically said she was treated the way that she acted, which I think is entirely reasonable, um, but I don't feel that I'm being a, a very good woman <laughs> by by saying this. I I don't know because it, it just it was so harsh. And he did bring up her um, promiscuity, alleged promiscuity. I don't know. As men, what was your take on this whole Missy Hyatt lawsuit story? Honestly, she's, uh, she's dumb. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't mean to be like blunt. I mean, it's it. It sounds so. It just sounds so far-fetched. It just sounds like someone who was angry that they weren't being used the way she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, she thought she might have been doing things to help with that when it was really hurting. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't... In my personal opinion, which is a like a grain of a grain of salt in the world of wrestling, I feel like she had about as much impact in the world of wrestling as the other Tory during the WWF Attitude Era. Not Tori Wilson, that T-O-R-I, other one. T-O-R-I, Tori? Yeah, that briefly was like with X-Pac and Kane, mm-hmm. and then who just magically disappeared and never heard from again. Didn't she have a main event match with Sable at WrestleMania 15? 
A main event? Main event. No, sorry, a WrestleMania, a, a singles women's match, which is a big deal yeah. in the history. Which is basically of, like a main event. In the yeah. history of WrestleMania. Well, then, then she she's bigger the, than Missy. She Hyatt. was a trainer on the first Tough Enough, so that gives her that. Uh, she's um, bigger than Missy. But, but I mean, I think of this scenario, like, and maybe we can grill him on this. Maybe not grill him, but just ask him about it. Where, like, think of your best friend of your best friends, right? Mm-hmm. Think of like some girlfriend that he had that screwed him over. Isn't that going to make you? Uh, have a negative light upon that who girl. Was, sure. Who was Bischoff's best friend? Jason with Hervey. And Jason Hervey and Missy Hyatt had a relationship. So I'm kind of curious. The brother from the Wonder Years? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, like, if that had anything to do with, like, oh, you screwed over my friend. Well, you know, F you. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other, you know, reasoning behind his dislikeness for Missy Hyatt, but I, I, I can't wonder. I can't help but wonder, but that might have something to do with it as well. Mm-hmm. But her being unintelligent and filing a bogus lawsuit. Has nothing to do with her. What did he say? Being passed around like a joint or or something. But those are horror words too. Like she wrote that book. Oh, she did. Okay. Yeah, where it's like she's like, oh, I banged this person, I banged that person. You know. I just kind of wish I tried. I attempted to threaten to sue WCW back then because I want to make some money. <laughs> well, yeah, apparently. I, well, I that's that's the only thing that caught in my eye is that obviously not the the thing he's mentioned earlier where she claimed he groped her. But there's a separate lawsuit, and that's what they were mentioning in this one, that uh, she felt it was wrongful termination, she wasn't paid correctly, and it was an, it was a bad work environment, and that is enough to actually shake down Time Warner, and I think I think her claim had legal merit. So and he, him, for him to flippantly dismiss it kind of felt a, like a lot. Can you imagine if this would come out in 2019? Can it you does. imagine? Yeah. Well, not not in WWE, the but different, right? Yeah. But if she were to bring that exact same lawsuit and those exact same claims out now, what an incredible opposite effect it would have! Yeah. Where it would be people giving her uh, reasonable doubt beyond everybody would be believing yeah. everything she says because they don't want to. Well, not there, there's it. a story that just came out in, in in the NBA with the accusations of former Laker coach, new Sacramento Kings coach Luke Walton. Yes, I read that. Those. Just came out like yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, and social media with everything. I mean, yeah, in 2019, if something like this were to come out, Mm -hmm. be crazy for WCW, for Eric, for whoever else was involved. It just makes me think how powerless she really was back then. And maybe maybe she's entirely in the wrong, and maybe this was a completely bogus lawsuit. If Mm -hmm. that's what Eric says, I I tend to believe him. Um, But she was not anyone who was in any position to leverage herself in any way, maybe, but using her feminine wiles and you know maybe she felt that she needed to bring a lawsuit maybe she wanted real change who you know I don't know I don't know this woman why am I trying to protect her why am I trying to stand up for her I don't know I dug her because you're a good person I was a a Missy Hyatt fan I I I thought she was great on the mic and I am going to read the book (laughs) and then I'll let you know what I think also public figure one on one you threaten to sue and then you get less money but then neither of your names get drug in the mud Mm-hmm. Instead of actually sue, and then eventually settle, but now your name is mud. Mm-hmm. She didn't do it right, <laughs> and I'm ta- I'm talking from a purely legal standpoint. She should have threatened to sue, and then settled, and then no one would have ever written about it. Let me ask you guys this too, because of course it's always like, oh, and then when the women we talk about how they look and blah blah, blah and, you know, we make it about Hillary Clinton's pantsuits or whatever. But can you guys <laughs> think of any male wrestlers now who are? past their prime, who are aging, and have had a lot of plastic surgery work done to themselves, or have a very oh. different look in the face than they did back in the day. Where I'm getting at with this is do Buff people... Bagwell. 
do people talk about it as much? Would they make fun of it to his face? Would they I mean, say that he looks like the Joker? Not so much the face, but maybe the body. Because mm-hmm. like Chris Jericho and Scott Steiner are up there in age, and obviously Jericho is still relatively active, and his body looks kind of different. You know, you know what I mean? Calf implants. Mm-hmm. No, mostly like the I know, chest, no. The I'm, I'm talking about wrestlers, though. Like one thing I will do is calf implants. Yeah, and I don't feel like any of the boys would ever call each other out on that business. But you know, Missy Hyatt gets a little uh, whatever the hell she's done to her it's, face, and she's the joke. It's more for, for whatever reason. It seems to be more noticeable. When women get it, than men. <laughs> okay, that's not that's not right. an insult. But I'm just saying. But that's also a beauty standard. That was thing. a very careful statement. I like yeah. that. No, it's, it, like <laughs> see Charlotte Flair. But like Booker uh, T doesn't Booker T doesn't feel the need to change his face at all. Whereas a woman with a similar career as Booker T's, but she's a woman, would mm-hmm. feel the need to do that due to beauty standards. Sure, that's true. That's so like true. that's it's. Yeah, we would honestly, if Booker T did anything to his face, we'd call him vain. <laughs> bro, it's your face. <laughs> All right, sexism and beauty standards aside, let's talk wrestling. Which All is right. pretty much the same thing. They go hand in hand. I mean, why not? This Hulk Hogan championship celebrity Hollywood wrestling thingy show that was on CMT. So Danny Bonaducci and Christopher Knight were on that, and no, so they used no, them from no, that no, for no, this no, dark no, no, match, no, no. or what? I was this confused. This dark match was '94. That championship wrestling was like '06 or '07. Yeah, that was many, many years later. They yeah. happened to use Bonaducci again. Okay, for I thought it. maybe it was like a tough enough situation no. where it was like the season finale, so no. they gave him a match. Yeah. I don't know. They were. It just Twelve <laughs> years prior. Yeah. This is not the USA Network. Yeah. Also, '06 or '07, Danny Bonaducci was working and working dark matches in t- a similar thing in TNA wrestling. Yeah, I remember that as being a thing that he kind of did. Like yeah. an angle that he worked for a he while. like wrestling. That's yeah. great. Yeah, he turns up and works an angle when they'll let him. Yeah, I watched Breaking Bonaducci. He seemed crazy. <laughs> I know, I, I did know. too. But did anyone rewatch this match? Well, it was a dark match. So it was a dark match. So right. Was you, you didn't look for it anywhere? You no. Is it not out there? I don't know. Dark matches are very, very difficult to find. Um, you know what else is something that maybe people haven't experienced before is Aaron Neville. Um, I will admit right now, I do have not have any clue who the hell that is. I don't know. Oh, you know. I know about you. <laughs> that is, the scary thing is, that's a good impression. Really, We're going to get a contact. You know, and now I know yeah. that you did that lovely rendition. I do know, but I didn't when they were talking about it on the episode. Didn't he do? Didn't he do like the national anthem for WWF at some point too? He did something for them, didn't he? I, I feel think. like I've seen him not too long ago, like one of the tribute to the troops or something. Maybe like he's he's just notoriously known for that. For that, that was pretty much his only big hit. But he always got booked because of that weird voice. And he's a huge wrestling fan. And apparently he's a big fan, yeah, which is great. Good for him. Good for him. What do you guys have to say about this, uh, I guess we'll call it an epic tag match? I don't know. It depends on if you are someone who likes the extreme hardcore stuff or not. Steve. Did you think this really went? Yeah, that, you're you're our guy here, Steve. Okay. So uh, this one is Cactus Jack, Max Just Payne, and the Nasty Max Boys. Payne, and all those guys. Um, what do you think? Was the question? Do I think this was too extreme? No. Okay, then I, because th- the answer is like no. I, I thought right. this was the accurate <laughs> amount of extreme. Like I thought, mid '90s, this was par for the course, if you will. Yeah. That that's what we're into. What, what we were all into at that time, that's obviously the kind of match you can't really do now. Mm-hmm. 
I think it was oh, ahead of its time in 94. I mean, this is way yeah. before, like, Public Enemy and, and, and WCW. This is way before but even remember Steve, Michael Steve, Steve was still watching ECW around this time. But yes, even I, then, but even then, like, yeah. that might have been, like, right before it became Extreme Championship Wrestling. That's what back when it was still Eastern Championship Wrestling. I think the fact that the, the, the guy in the match was Cactus Jack, the guy that was already kind of known for being extreme previously to that. Yeah, I, you're not wrong. I just... I was able to see this match from the guys of everything I've seen so far. So I didn't I didn't actually watch it in 94 mm-hmm. as it happened. So in my mind, it, it fits into the hardcore portfolio I think the that only, Cactus Jack has built. Yeah, and the only person who I ever hear say that all that stuff wasn't awesome is Eric Bischoff, who really would be the only person who would have to deal with the liability if something <laughs> happened to him. So I guess that makes sense. Well, like, and in, like, a Bruce Pritchard... Bruce Pritchard says he hates these kind of matches too, but he says it in a if "you dig it, that's good for you." I just don't like it. Whereas Eric think Eric like insults your intelligence for liking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you guys like on Spring Stampede '94? What stood out to you, or what maybe about Eric? What Eric said did it offer any extra insight to you? You know, we talked about Max Payne. We talked about Two Cold Scorpio getting fired. I just, I love seeing Rick Rude in like a main event spotlight mm-hmm. because he mm-hmm. didn't really get that in WWF mm-hmm. because he he was just one of those guys that you loved to hate. I mean, you know, the, the classic women want to be with him, men want to be him. I mean, that was him, like times ten. And and what I what I always found interesting was. For most of his career, he had a manager, but he could talk. Yeah, what was which was one which was one of those um, one of those really what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's kind of obscure. It's one it's such a rarity that you would see that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like CM Punk with Paul Heyman was another one, but so it added such a unique dimension because you're expecting Bobby Heenan or Paul Heyman or whoever is managing him to talk. But then you're like, no, wait. I won't, I won't rather listen to him. Mm. And it was so cool because then you had it firing on both sides. I mean, I, I thought, I thought, I thought this show was like a nice throwback. I mean, it was 25 years ago. Yeah. I always think about that. Where in '94, like 25 years before then, seemed like an eternity ago. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, 25 years doesn't seem like it was just yesterday, but it feels like it was a nice, like, where it's like I was still growing up and still like loving everything that I saw. Where it was like at the time, I didn't know better. I thought having a draw for for a pay per view finish was like, oh yeah, that's normal, you know. <laughs> you know, fast forward now, it's like. No, that would never fly, you know, having a main event where it ends in a draw without a finish. Hashtag, hashtag cancel the WWE Network. <laughs> yeah. the, if, if a big, like, imagine whatever we're building towards at Money in the Bank. Because I don't want to say spoilers, but, like, imagine if that match like ended AJ in Seth a... AJ Seth Rollins. Okay. Imagine if AJ <laughs> Seth Rollins ended in a draw. Just imagine what the Twitter sphere, wrestling Twitter, if you will. I haven't watched WWE in over a year, and that makes me angry. <laughs> The idea of a draw, or that I spoiled draw. The idea of a draw. Okay, oh, that's yeah, it already happened. I and and not everyone and watches that draw ma- on Monday. And that it's ma- Wednesday today, and that <laughs> match could very well end in a draw. Yeah, <laughs> you like no that they could legit end that pay per view with a draw, a time limit draw. There won't be a time limit draw. They well, stopped that. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. Well, uh, kind of talking past and present, we saw Dustin Rhodes on this one on Spring Stampede. He recently left uh, WWE. He's going to be throwing down with Cody in in AEW. Did watching this back, th- thoughts about him in his early career? Or kind of could you have projected 
where he did like what he did accomplish I mean, took watching me, him at this time. No way. No, it took yeah. me like a year to realize that he was gold dust. Yeah. <laughs> like I had no at I mean at age 12, 13 at yeah. that time when Goldust debuted because I remember Dustin I'm like, "Oh, he's pretty good. He's okay, he's Dusty's son. Got it." Da 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 da. Good old good guy wrestler. Goldust, I'm fascinated, but Goldust is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers because the gimmick was so ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fascinating, and it really wasn't until they did some like like they did some multi segment thing with Jim Ross interviewing him and Marlena, oh, yeah. and that's where like they reveal that he was Dusty's son. I'm just like, really? Wait, <laughs> crazy. You're saying this is? Du- I was wondering where <laughs> Dustin went. <laughs> I would have never thought that. No, I never in a million years would have put the two together. I love that. Or thought that that would have happened. I I do think Dustin Rhodes in 94 felt like a blank slate in the Mm. sense that, like, he could be anything. And I would argue Steve Austin in 94 looked that way, too. Steve Austin just looked like, well, but he was just very much a hand where it's like, oh, there's this, there's the American facing Muda in 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 an okay match. Like, if you had told me one of them would be the, one of the biggest stars in wrestling. It would have been a coin flip in 94. Well, it doesn't seem like Eric saw that either. No. The ringmaster. And of course, you know, <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and all that jazz, but really, would you guys have seen that in Steve Austin back then? Be honest. I mean, it's weird, it's weird to say now, just because when we were kids, it's like, you know, we, we wouldn't know better, but now as an adult, if we see something with something, something similar styles, we already like, no, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he... I personally, I don't think we saw anything from Austin until he went to ECW after WCW that would have ever given any given any clue to what he would have become. Sure, ECW for life with this guy over no, here. No, I, I disagree. But I know we got it. We've seen. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get some input from I don't know. Maybe somebody who was there. Maybe uh, somebody Max who Payne? was the. Uh, uh, nope. Close. Busy Hyatt. No. Oh, oh, I wish. Snap. I wish. How about the uh, president and executive producer and all that good stuff of WCW, Eric Bischoff? We're going to have him on the line in just a minute. So stay tuned. You're tuned into After 83 Weeks, and joining us now is a guy that you guys can all see at the For the Love of Wrestling convention in Liverpool this weekend. Say hello to Eric Bischoff. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to be with you very much. (laughs) Are you practicing that one for your international travels? No, what this is mostly is because I've been watching Billions on the Showtime. (laughs) I have a new character there named Gregor. He's one of my favorite actors. It's just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Careful, because Dave Meltzer might think that you're British. Yes. <laughs> on, on that accent. I hope not, because that was a Russian accent. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. I would like to do the whole episode in, in, in my Russian accent. <laughs> when you watch a show like that, are you like, dang, why didn't I think of this? Why is this not produced by Eric Bischoff? No, that show is so amazing. Have you guys watched it? Billions? I think I'm the only one that doesn't. Uh, I think I'm the only one that doesn't as well, so that makes two of us. Oh, you guys, you need to smarten up. Bruce Pritchard is the one that turned me on to it. He was shocked that I didn't watch it already. And once he did, my wife and I got into it. Now it is, without a question, one of our top shows. All right, well, we're going to put that one on our watch list. Uh, But, you know, this week we watched Spring Stampede 1994. And uh, listen to you and Conrad kind of break it all down. It seemed like you were having fun with this one, yeah? Yeah, it was fun. It's always fun to go back, especially you know, going back to the <clears throat> excuse me, the pay per views and even the 
you know, the WCW Saturday nights and, and so forth and, and nitros prior to the NWO because the NWO re represented such a, a seismic shift in the way we were doing things and beginning to do things. So going back and looking at episodes that were prior to that period of time is always a lot of fun for me. <laughs> well, this was an exciting time, of course, for WCW. This was right before Hulk Hogan was coming in. And um, his whole kind of entrance to WCW was talked about in this New England Sports Network piece. And I'm wondering if you know who was their source, who would have motivation to give their no give these numbers to the press. Like, to, to this day, does that kind of stuff bother you? Are you like, who told? Who was Who was talking to the people? You know, you know, it, it doesn't bother me, you know, looking back on things that happened 20 years ago. I still believe to this day that when you're negotiating a contract or a deal of any kind, that you really want to get all parties in agreement before details are released. I just think that's the right way to do business. Even today in my business, there's very few things that I'll talk about. Um, unless everybody agrees, it's okay to talk about it publicly because there are times when you just want to withhold certain types of information. Um, as far as who leaked it, you know, who knows? There's attorneys involved. There's talent management involved. There's guys, you know, talking over a cocktail or a couple beers and, you know, somebody next to them overhears. There's, there's never a way to pin it down. I, I do think, though, because the numbers were pretty close. They were off a little bit. But they were close enough that it probably came from someone within Hulk's camp. Okay, and things like that at that time wouldn't concern you? Well, no, it concerned me, but there's not much you could do about it. You know, and a lot of times things like that leak unintentionally. You know, I myself have caught myself, and one of the reasons I'm so careful about it today, you know, the movie that's, that's coming out that we're doing with Netflix that you read about in Variety or Hollywood Reporter. We talked about it when I was mm -hmm. in L.A. a little bit. You know, <clears throat> that was a that was a story that leaked. It was not a press release. It should have never come out. And, you know, I, I, to this day, I won't talk about anything other than what was, you know, in that release out of respect for the deal and the project. And I wish more people would like that. But, you know, when the stuff leaks out, it leaks out. It's like you can't put the barrel or the, the bullet back in the barrel. You just got to roll it. Speaking of Hulk Hogan, we'll stay right there. Do you think there's enough content for, from Hulk Hogan's Celebrity Wrestling on CMT for there to be a whole 83 Weeks episode? Please say well, yes. <laughs> probably not an 83 Weeks episode. <laughs> Maybe an 83 Weeks on YouTube, yeah. Okay. Um, if we could do a watch-along or something like that. But, you know, it was a one-hour show, and, you know, we did eight of them or ten of them. I can't remember how many we did. But, yeah, there's probably enough to talk about for one episode. Sticking with Hogan, this was April of 94, was he pretty much a lock for WCW? I know July was coming up, but were you afraid that maybe Vince was going to buy him back? I know he was dealing with a steroid trial, but was he pretty much 100% WCW committed at, by April? No, it's, it's really interesting. There's, I've heard so many different – so much you know, rumors and innuendo and, <laughs> and things like that about Hulk's relationship with Vince at that time. If you go back and look at the timing of it all – um, that steroid trial was definitely a, a divisive time in their relationship. Uh, Hulk was testifying on behalf of the federal government against Vince McMahon. So, you know, going into that trial, there was no concern on my part that, you know, Vince was going to hire him back. <laughs> uh, you, but you really have to go back and look at the timeline of the trial, Hulk's involvement in that trial. Um, 
No. To answer your question succinctly, no. There was no concern at all. I want to talk about the Nasty Boys. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> Man, surprise. <laughs> well, no, well, more so just, like, if any fun, fun, like, drinking crazy stories, because this is actually one of the, they're one of the rare people that I actually have a drinking story with, so I know there's got to be insane drinking stories with, with the Nasty Boys as far as that shutting down bars or anything like that. Is there story. anything that you are allowed to share or that you're comfortable sharing? You know, <clears throat> nothing that really stands out. Now, clearly, there was more than one occasion <laughs> where I was... Uh, in close proximity to the Nasty Boys, and copious amounts of alcohol were involved. And they were always outrageous, you know, ridiculous stories, but none of them really stands out, you know. Oh. I think the, one of the ones that I do remember uh, involved Hulk, excuse me, involved <clears throat> Brian Nobbs and an executive from VH1. And I think this is during the uh, Hogan Knows Best uh, series. Okay. And they were using Brian on an episode or two. And, of course, the executive was hanging out with Hulk and Brian and, you know, a bunch of other people. And Brian, when he gets when he gets lit up, now he doesn't drink as much anymore. Uh, he had to curtail for health reasons. But back in the day when he would get lit up, um, he would do some of the most outrageous things you would imagine. And one of those was actually spearing an executive from VH1. Uh, who's also drinking, so I guess he gets what he deserved. But uh, yeah, when you when when you get physical with a network executive in the middle of a television, <laughs> that's taking things a little bit too far. <laughs> well, I want to talk about a, a different kind of physical activity. Um, to be honest with you, I I wanted to have a problem with your comments about Missy Hyatt on this episode, just because. They were extreme, and I'm the woman. And but really, you didn't say anything that that seemed unfair or um, that seemed, you know, sexist or fascist in any way. But it did get me thinking. She probably wasn't doing anything behind the scenes that the guys weren't doing. Was there more heat on a female performer back in the day for being promiscuous than there was on the male performers? Well, my comments about Missy weren't necessarily or specifically directed to her promiscuity, if you will. Um, and I don't know where fascist would have come into any of that. <laughs> you know, when pageant I, girls use big words and it just sounds stupid, that was one of those things. You guys are clearly on the left coast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, my issue with, with Missy was the lies she told. You know, she accused me of sexually molesting her. Oh. Uh, she attempted to... Um, shake down Turner Broadcasting with a bogus lawsuit because she was desperate for money and she used, you know, uh, sexual oppression as the premise for her bullshit, completely ridiculous lawsuit because she was trying to get a free, she was trying to get a payday. And that's what I hold against her. Was, was Not for what she did recreationally behind the scenes. I don't give two shits what people do in their personal lives. It really doesn't matter to me. But when People hold themselves out as being, you know, some kind of uh, when they virtue signal. There you go. And they accuse others of sexual impropriety when they themselves are probably as guilty or more guilty than anybody else. Then you end up on my radar screen and, you know, I'll happily point out that you now look like the fucking joker. <laughs> 
So, well, and, and really, it's no different from you giving your opinion of a of a male performer, or you know, you say a lot of mean stuff about a lot of people, right? No, I don't say a lot of mean stuff about a lot of people. <laughs> you you don't just, really. It, it, we do we do from time to time dig in a little bit, but you know, I've never been critical of anybody who hasn't spent the last twenty years being critical of me. Mm. You know, I've been on the receiving end of a lot of you know, shoot interviews and commentary and dirt sheet crap and lies and innuendo and things like that. And it just comes with the territory. But I'm, I also have a pretty good memory when it comes to who those people are. And if their names come up, um, I don't feel bad um, sharing my opinions of them or my memories of them. I don't target them intentionally. And very seldom will I bring up anybody's name if I'm not asked about it. But if I am asked, I'll be honest. And if they fall into that category of someone who I think is disingenuous or manipulative or a flat out liar, um, yeah, you, you'll you'll be on the receiving end of a very honest opinion. Oh, okay, I'm glad to, to hear you elaborate on that a little bit. So you think Missy Hyatt's lawsuit was like 100% without legal merit? Well, there were two of them that I'm, I guess I'm familiar with. The one where she accused me mm. personally, and this is the one that I really, really, this one, this one won't go away, um, is when she accused me because I fired her mm. because she acted like a 12-year-old spoiled brat because I brought um, Sherry Martell in. And Missy was no longer the only woman on the roster and didn't get all of the attention. And Sherry Martell was an amazing talent and could do things that Missy couldn't do. Physically in the ring. Miss Sherry Martell could do things that a lot of guys couldn't do in the ring. Mm -hmm. She was an amazing performer and a great character. And when I brought Sherry in, Missy blew a gasket. I mean, acted like a 12-year-old spoiled little brat and created a scene down at Disney MGM Studios. And later that evening, she wanted to confront me in front of probably 75 or 80 staff, employees, wrestlers, their families, including my wife and my two kids. Where is where she confronted me, and that didn't go very well for her because I don't like being confronted like that, especially with my family. And when she didn't get what she wanted, she accused me of, in that moment, standing there with my wife and my two very, very young children, of fondling her breasts in public. That, that to me, that's representative of who that person really is, and that's the type of thing that I, you know, I don't forget that kind of stuff. And I, you know, that was certainly without merit. Mm -hmm. As far as the rest of the lawsuit, it was what I talked about in the, on the uh, podcast. You know, everybody knew that if you filed a lawsuit against Turner, if you could find some dirtbag attorney willing to compromise their professionalism enough to file a lawsuit, and many of them would because the attorneys in Atlanta knew the same thing. If you file a lawsuit against Turner Broadcasting, chances are you're going to get a payday. If it's under, if it's a hundred grand or under, you know they're going to settle. And a lot of people made careers of that. Missy being one of them. Oh, uh, I'm sure it was difficult for you to share all that. You didn't go into all that on the episode this week. So thank you for uh, for giving us that little bit of info there. There you go. That, can answer, that answered my question. So I, can, so I can go to the next question. You brought in the boss, you know, guardian angel. Why not just call him Big Bubba Rogers? Like, why not? Like, why avoid the litigation? It's not like you brought in Razor Ramon and Diesel as, like, Sharp Pablo in gasoline. You know, like, it was... What? You know what? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you, you weren't trying to, like, oh, Big oh, Boss Man, the boss. Cool. You know? Why not just call him Big Bubba Rogers, which he was known as pre-WWF, or just call him Ray Trailer? Can we, we get a Sharp Pablo? Just, well, you know, this was 1994, again, <clears throat> maybe even earlier than that. Um, we could have done that, you know, 
as far as just calling him Ray Trailer, keep in mind, I didn't start calling people or identifying people as their real names until 1995 and 1996. Until that time, we were still in that, you know, traditional wrestling model of giving everybody a gimmick or character name, right? We hadn't made that transition yet. That's why I didn't just call him Ray Trailer because it just wasn't what we did in the wrestling business, not just WCW, but anybody else, number one. Number two, <clears throat> the Big Bubba Rogers thing, Again, keep in mind, you may have read this, heard about it, I've talked about this before. One of the things that I wanted to do when I started getting control of WCW is kind of get away from that southern, regional, traditional, kind of southeast territory branding and bringing them in and calling them Big Bubba Rogers <laughs> back to the wrestling business a little bit more than I want to, if you know what I mean. So that was my – now you got Russian and <laughs> – Southern. Deep South. Deep South, all in one episode. And I, I did horribly at both. That was the reason why we were trying to come up with a character name that – you know, might resonate without going back to that traditional Southern kind of approach. But with that said, though, you ended up going back to Big Bubba Rogers. So what, why going back to that original name that he had? Because we tried everything else and it didn't work. <laughs> that was like he a was, last resort. Fuck it! Yeah. This is called Big Bubba Rogers! <laughs> also, Sharp Pablo and Gasoline, those are going to be t-shirts. Right? I, I, I wrote that down. I'm requesting to now be addressed as Sharp Pablo. <laughs> Actually, Eric, if you can just... From Puerto Rico, not Cuba, from Puerto Rico. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you when you see uh, some of the wrestlers today, they do, they'll do they emulate some of the wrestlers in the past, like Velveteen Dream, for example. He emulates a lot of Rick Rude, who we talked a lot about on this week, as well as Macho Man, the Revival. They emulate Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. When, when you see all that, do you feel that that's like a nice tribute for them emulating or would you prefer them no get original and come up with your own stuff I, you know i don't have a strong opinion about that um i i always you know i believe generally that when you can come up with your own character and persona the more original it is um the better it is mm -hmm. because it's new and it's fresh but i also recognize that in television they call it a derivative you know, there are basically seven basic stories, you know, known to mankind. And everything that you read, watch, hear is some variation of one of those original seven stories. Um, it doesn't bother me when someone like Velveteen Dream is inspired by or maybe derives a little bit of his character. You know, certainly there's enough difference about Velveteen Dream. It's not like he's copying Rick rude but if there's an element of a guy like rick rude in velveteen's repertoire you know to help make up his character it doesn't bother me in the bit i do think it's i think it's a little bit of an homage i i think there's a certain amount of respect involved and i would imagine rick rude's family probably feels the same way well, we also saw Dustin Rhodes on Spring Stampede 1994. Some big news with him recently. He has left WWE, and he will actually be facing his brother Cody at AEW's All In event. What is your reaction to that? I was thrilled to see that. You know, Dustin is one of my favorite people. You know, we didn't really work together all that much in WCW for, for a couple of years. Uh, I had to fire him, even though he was a close friend of mine, just because of an unfortunate circumstance and some bad timing. Um, 
but I, you know, we remained friends and I was very close to his father. So, you know, with everything that's going on in Cody's life, you know, being kind of the next generation as it appears he's going to be with Dustin kind of winding down his career and entering to the next phase of his life. This is a great way to jump off into that next chapter of Dustin's life. And I, I'm really, you know, I'm going to be a part of StarCast and I'll be at the event, obviously. But I'm really, really happy to see it. I think it'll be good for Dustin. I think it'll be great for wrestling fans. It'll be good for AEW. It's it's a triple win all the way around the deck. Yeah, we can't wait. Switching gears back to Rick Rude, you mentioned you haven't been to any wrestlers' funerals since Rick Rude. Are there any that you wish you could have attended? Um, well, I could have attended anyone <clears throat> that I chose to, and I didn't feel like I shouldn't. It's just after the experience that I had. Look, at a funeral, people's emotions are raw mm. many times. I'll just speak for myself. Um, in my family situation, your emotions are are so raw. You're mentally and emotionally and sometimes physically exhausted it, it's the worst possible scenario to have someone show up at a funeral that maybe normally you wouldn't feel so awkward around, but I never want to take that chance again. I, I, I know it, it attracted way too much attention at Rick Rude's funeral. I felt horrible about that. I didn't feel horrible that I was asked to leave. It didn't, it didn't really hit me personally on that level, but the fact that it created a scene is something I never want to experience again. I just don't ever want to take that risk. You know, I felt really bad that I didn't go to Dusty Rhodes' funeral because I love Dusty Rhodes. And, and you know, I look at him in a way as, as a mentor. Um, although we saw things differently uh, in, on many occasions, but it was never, you know, a conflict. It was a collaboration. And, you know, we sometimes we'd grind each other and we'd argue, not argue so much as, you know, debate our way through things. But I really, really looked up to Dusty a lot and I learned a lot from him. I admired his vision. I admired the fact that he was constantly thinking so far out of the box. I hate to use that term, it's overused. But Dusty did. He always did. He used to tell me all the time, you know, that he looked at, you know, a pay-per-view or he looked at a wrestling show on TV as a movie. And I, I know now more than I did then what he really meant by that. And he was so far ahead of his time um, that I, I, I have some remorse that I didn't go to his funeral. But again, it, it wasn't worth taking the risk that someone there, not, not the family, like it was in Rick's case, but someone there might have, you know, whatever – take an exception to my being there. It just, it wasn't worth the risk to me because I didn't want to take away from his family's moment. On a little bit lighter note, is there anyone who oh, you would, uh, <laughs> how about anyone you would not want to attend your funeral, Eric, who should we tell to get the hell out of there if they show up? Oh, it won't matter to me a bit. No. <laughs> and my family's a lot easier to get along with and much more forgiving than I am, so it, it definitely won't matter. Just real quick, another thing that stood out to me from this episode was hip-hop. You said Yellow Wolf, but what are some of your other hip-hop artists that you enjoy? I'm a music connoisseur myself, so I'm just kind of curious. Like, yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like, what other like hip-hop artists do you like? I know No Limit Soldiers is probably one of your favorites, but like, <laughs> what are some other hip-hop artists? <laughs> Smartass! I can't wait to see you again. 
jag off. <laughs> you know, I'd have to go through my playlist and look for it. It's, it's like I try to tell Conrad. I don't listen to any one artist on a regular basis. It's just sometimes I just roll through my playlist and there's songs on there I forgot I downloaded. You know, um, I like Eminem, you know, some of his early stuff. Um, I have a, quite a few of, of Eminem stuff, uh, Eminem's music on my playlist. Um, I have to go through and look. I won't ask you to rap for right now. Maybe ah. next, maybe next time. But um, no, I I won't. Quit. You think you're the Russia? We don't rap. Uh, <laughs> in Russia, they <laughs> rap you. Um, Ricky Ricky Steamboat has always pretty much gone a record. And everyone says that he never was a heel. They never like anyone tried to make him a heel or never successful at it. You rolled a dice with Hogan, and that obviously it's it was a success. Did you ever consider trying it with Steamboat? No, you know, keep in mind, when I worked with Ricky, I really wasn't involved with creative. I, I And I can't, you know, overstate this. I was intimidated by the creative process, you know, throughout the first few years of my wrestling career. Even when I was a vice president in WCW, um, I, I really wanted to delegate that process because I just didn't have the confidence in myself to get in the way of it. Um, it wasn't until 95, really 96, that I, 95 is when it started, that I, I kind of forced myself into it because I, I had to. It was out of necessity. We were launching a brand new show head-to-head with the WWE. I, could no, I no longer had the luxury of trying to uh, you know, macro-manage creative, and I had to micromanage that process. And as I started getting more and more involved, I started gaining more and more confidence and realized that I was actually halfway decent at it. But that didn't occur until after, you know, Ricky was no longer with the company. So it never crossed my mind personally because my headspace just wasn't in creative. It was on the business side of things. And he did just fine uh, the way it was. I think we could all agree. <laughs> he, he did okay for himself. He, he did pretty well. Yeah. He did pretty well. Well, uh, tell us about your plans for the weekend before we let you go. You're going to be in the U.K. meeting fans? Is there a little reunion planned? Well, there's a little bit of a reunion, although I just read as I was waiting for this uh, to start that Scott Hall is not going to be in Liverpool. Now, perhaps that will change before the weekend. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I got to see Kevin Nash last weekend, but just briefly. So it'll be fun to catch up with Kevin. We're going to be there for a few days. There's going to be a lot of people there, so I'm sure I'll be hanging out with some some friends that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, but I really do. I really enjoy hanging with the fans. I, I find the more I do this, the more I enjoy it, uh, which surprises me. I thought I would be tired of it by now, but I'm really not. I like doing it. I love hearing fans tell me. Um, what they remember about Nitro or how wrestling in general, not just Nitro or WCW, but how wrestling in general really helped, you know, bond their families in some cases. You know, I I think I told you the story about the young lady who asked me to walk her down the aisle because her mother and father had passed. And Mm. one of their bonding, you know, experiences between her father and her were watching wrestling on Monday nights. I I love hearing those stories. It, It makes me feel really good about the work we did. Um, so I, I just dig it, and, and I'm I'm anxious to go to the cavern. Speaking of music, where the Beatles launched their career, and where they had some of their first live performances. You know, I I, I remember watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show long before 
you know, any of you were like a dirty thought in your parents' mind. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've grown up, you know, hearing those stories and reading about it and being fascinated about the Beatles and their journey. And to be able to go hang out at the cavern and maybe have a pint is kind of a cool thing. So I'll be doing some sightseeing. <clears throat> I'll be eating some curry because I love curry. And there's oh, a lot of great curry in the U.K. And uh, just hanging out. I'll have a blast. Cool. Well, man, that does sound like yeah, fun. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> we'll meet you there. This guy knows how to travel. Well, uh, enjoy meeting all of the fans. And uh, we will see you next week for another round-rousing edition of uh, After 83 Weeks. But safe travels to you. And uh, take care. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Look Thanks, forward to Thank you. Hey, Kaufman, it's great to see you back at work, man. You take some. You take vacations <laughs> like the French do. You just, like, disappear. Wee-wee. <laughs> from- <laughs> oui, oui. We'll see if we can walk him down for next week. Thanks, Eric. Bye, Eric. I love it when you bust your balls, Steve. I'll take it. (laughs) Oh, that was fun. You know, he offered some real extra insight there, uh, additional to what he had said on the episode about Missy Hyatt and that whole situation. That really just gave me a completely different perspective. And I think anyone who um, thinks that his comments were were harsh or or not, um, I think that gives you a whole nother idea of... um, of why he would feel the way that he that he does feel about Missy Hyatt. Definitely. Uh, that being said, still a fan. <laughs> <laughs> still looking for a book. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to read it at some point. But uh, if, if the folks out there want to know uh, what you guys are all reading, what you're up to, if you're watching Billions, where do they reach out to you, Christian Rosenberg? You can reach out to me on Twitter, at Will Rosenberg, Instagram, the Will Rosenberg, presentees.com slash Christian Rosenberg. Check me out hosting the AfterBuzz Smackdown recap. And also, I'll play, because George always messes it up, this Friday in Burbank. <laughs> yes, please. Brian Kendrick's Wrestling Pro Wrestling. The Evil Enterprise is there. Devastator 2 will be there. You can see it at twitch.tv slash wrestling pro wrestling, Twitter, YouTube, all that fun stuff. Love it. What George Hermosa? What he said, uh, Burbank, Friday, right? <laughs> yes, Friday. G. Hermosa, G H E R M O Z A, Twitter, Instagram. Eric Bischoff gave me the finger. Yes, yeah, he, he did. did. Oh, yeah, I'm, making did. A gif of, I'm making a gif of it. I thought it was GIF. It's GIF. It's GIF. I'm Steve Kaufman. You can find me on Twitter Just almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K U F. M-A-N-N, I'm involved in a lot of YouTube channels, including the one you're watching right now. So if I'm tweeting the link, chances are I'm involved. So support them and support me. Hashtag Sharp Pablo. <laughs> and you guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports. Make sure you can send in your questions too for the show. If you have burning questions for Eric after listening to the episode, use hashtag after 83 weeks. Uh, what are they covering next week? Steve's Korea. Steve's oh, dream right. collision in Korea. This is what he's been waiting for. That's yes. right. So this is bound to be juicy, and I'm sure these guys are going to have a lot of very invasive, probably annoying questions for Eric. Annoying and never. he will be back for another QA. So we will see you then. You guys have a great week. Thank you so much for watching. Bye-bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.